The Easter story continues in John chapter 21. Jesus died and rose again in Jerusalem, of course. This story happens in Galilee, so this must have happened at least four, six days after Easter. Uh, Galilee's about 100 miles from Jerusalem, so that Peter had to have time to get back home. So Easter week. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to Peter, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into a boat, but they caught nothing. And just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you've no fish, have you? And they answered, no. And Jesus said, cast the net to the other side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And when they finally got to shore and after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because Jesus said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So on Monday, Thursday, we thought together about the first half of Peter's Holy Week if that's what you want to call what for Peter must have, been, must have been the week from hell. First in that upper room on Maundy Thursday, Peter had promised Jesus an eternal fidelity, which in fact had lasted about two hours. Then he fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he sliced off the ear of an unarmed servant boy, not an entirely accomplished thrust and parry. And then finally, worst of all, the threefold denial. And in the gray light of a Good Friday dawn, Peter goes out to weep bitterly, to drown his inadequacies in the sorrow of his tears. And Peter, of course, couldn't have been anything but bitterly sad when it took Jesus six hours to die on Friday afternoon. But I wonder if there was at least some small portion of him which experienced some relief. Thank God it's over. I tried to reach out into this huge world. I tried to be more than a fisherman, but I failed. I just wasn't up to it. I didn't have the moxie. At least it's over. He's gone. Wouldn't it be great if we could just stay dead with our failures? Wouldn't it be great if God simply foreclosed on the possibility of resurrection so that we wouldn't have to worry about our mistakes any longer? In my first church, a young man walked out on his family when his children were 10 and 8 years old. 
We didn't know what happened. It didn't look like a bitter marriage to us. There was no third party. It didn't look like the man was depressed. It looked like maybe he just got sick and tired of being a husband and father. So he moved to California to surf or something. Ten years later, I ran into him on the streets of the village. And I asked him how his now college-age children were doing, and he said, we don't really stay in touch. I haven't heard from them for 10 years. I messed that up so bad that I try to stay as far away from them as I can. Can't fix my mistakes. Wouldn't it be great if you could just forget that they are alive in the world? Peter didn't think he could fix his mistakes either. After meeting what might have been the risen Christ twice, Peter goes home to Galilee and decides, I'm going fishing. Like Popeye of old, he says, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. I'm a fisherman. I'm going fishing. The other disciples say, great idea. We'll come with you. Unravel the nets. Raise the mane. Unfurl the jib. Cast off. Let's go get us some bluefish. But even that goes badly. They can't catch any fish. And then there's this ghostly apparition on the shore in the gray light of dawn. And he tells them to cast the nets on the other side. And sure enough, there's the catch that's bigger than George Clooney's and Mark Wahlberg's in The Perfect Storm. And then when they finally haul this huge catch to shore, Jesus has spread a picnic on the beach. And then around that fire on that beach on the shore of the Sea of Galilee begins what has come to be known as the rehabilitation of St. Peter. The rehabilitation of St. Peter. It's a beautiful but harrowing scene. Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Then feed my sheep. Three times like that. Now, what must have gone through Peter's mind at this moment. Feed my lambs. What do lambs eat? Where do you put whatever it is they eat so that they can get at it? And when do they stop being lambs and become sheep? Then what do you do? Jesus, I'm a fisherman. You've got me confused with somebody else. But you see what Jesus is trying to do, right? Jesus answers Peter's threefold denial with a threefold invitation. He is inviting him back into his huge world. Feed my sheep, he says. Protect my children. Be the rock on which the church is immovably anchored. The rehabilitation of St. Peter. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's determined that his resurrection won't be the only one. The rehabilitation of, Saint, the rehabilitation of Tiger Woods. How do you put your life back together when you have denied your best friend three times? How do you put your life back together when you have destroyed your marriage, alienated your children, and wrecked your car in spectacular public fashion? You go back to work, even if it takes ten years. And so there was Tiger, standing on the 12th green at Augusta last Sunday, about to regain the lead, with his arms crossed over his chest, glaring with lots of confidence and a little menace at the twosome playing behind him, who were both wrestling with double bogeys. U.S. Open champion Brooks Kepka says, looking at Tiger standing there with that long, vanished insolence, 
Brooks Kepka says, Tiger's back. St. Peter's back. Michael Jordan said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. 9,000. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I had a chance to win the game by taking the final shot, and I missed. 26 times. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. That is why I succeed. You're bound to fall down a couple of times before you cross the finish line. We just keep going. And so Jesus answers Peter's threefold denial with a threefold invitation. Take care of my folk. Be the rock. When Jesus is around, there's always forgiveness. There's always a second chance. There's always a resurrection. We've got work to do. What is Peter's penance for his threefold denial? Work to do. A church to create. Peter is condemned to everlasting redemption. Good Friday fell on April 19 this year, about as late as it can get, almost as late as it can get. And when Good Friday falls during the third week of April, we're reminded again that there are only two sure things in this life, death and taxes. April 15, tax day. Abraham Lincoln dies. The Titanic sinks. The Boston Marathon kettle bombs. April 16, 33 dead at Virginia Tech. April 19, 76 Branch Davidians dead in Waco, 168 killed in Oklahoma City. April 20, Hitler's birthday, Columbine, no coincidence, 20 years ago yesterday. And now Sri Lanka, 200. And so the temptation is to submit to the failure of love in the world and just to retreat, right? Just to do what we know how to do. I'm going fishing. That's all I'm good for. And then this apparition appears on the shore. Robert, Dorothy, George, do you love me? Protect my folk. A while back, I told you that my favorite Shakespeare play was his comedy, I think from 1593, Much Ado About Nothing. This is mostly because of Kenneth Brock's 1993 film, Michael Keaton as Dogberry. Do you remember this? Do you know the story? The soldier prince Claudio falls in love with this beautiful innocent named Hero, but he thinks she has been unfaithful to him. And on their wedding day, on their wedding day, in church, before God and all of God's witnesses, when the priest asks Claudio if he will have Hero to be his wife, he says, no, never. I will never knit my soul to an approved wanton, for she hath known the heat of a luxurious bed, and she is but a pampered animal that doth rage in savage sensuality. But Hero has not been unfaithful to Claudio, and his ruthless accusation just causes her to go to an, into a swoon. She faints. It looks like she's dead. They carry her away as if she's dead. Claudio thinks she's dead, and he doesn't care because she deserves it. She hath known the heat of a luxurious bed. And later, of course, Claudio finds out that he was much in error. Hero has been true always. 
And they tell Claudio that his violent attack on her character has killed her. And thinking that she's dead, Claudio begs forgiveness from Hero's father. Choose your penance, he says. But Hero's father, like God, God's self, is not in a vengeful mood. And so Claudio's penance is to marry the man's niece. To marry a woman he has never seen and does not love. And so another wedding is arranged, right? And Claudio and this woman gather at the altar. The bride is veiled. And when they pronounce the vows and the bride is unveiled, who is it? It's Hero. It's the woman he's loved all his life. It's one of the greatest moments from the comic stage, a true moment, a gospel moment. Claudio, the treacherous, has been given another chance. His retribution is to marry his beloved. And it's hapless, hopeless, clueless Sheriff Dogberry who gets it right. Oh, villain, thou wilt be condemned to everlasting redemption for this. I love that malaprop, condemned to everlasting redemption. That's a phrase that takes a left turn right in the middle, right? Right between the verb and the noun. Because you can say, you shall be condemned to eternal retribution, or you can say, you can be rescued for everlasting redemption, but you can't say condemned to everlasting redemption. It's an oxymoron. Did you know that malaprops are sometimes called dogberryisms because dogberry has so many malaprops? He gets it so wrong all the time, but in getting it wrong, he gets it right because that's exactly what happens to Claudio. Claudio's penance is to be in love with this beautiful woman. He's condemned to everlasting redemption. Same, with, same thing with St. Peter. Threefold denial, threefold invitation. Come into this huge world. Create something the world has never seen before. There's always resurrection. There's always another chance. Do our nets not burst with the catch when we throw them on the other side of the boat? And is springtime, though late, not here once again? And have we not extravagance beyond our capacity to hope or dream? And is it not true that our failures are never, never final and our mistakes never killing, and we are condemned to everlasting redemption in the love of God. Amen.